Well, hello. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Good to see you. Hey, Matt. Man, I love Matt. What a cool guy. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me here uh, with you at Impact. I'm excited to be here. I was just sitting where Eric is sitting, and I realized how bright the sun is. So it's probably like if you don't have sunglasses or anything like that, it might be kind of difficult. But uh, welcome. Good to see you. Um, uh, as Eric said, uh, I'm from City on a Hill Community Church. And City on a Hill right now, we actually do not have a building. So we were meeting in uh, elementary school, and uh, obviously, as uh, coronavirus did to many things, messed things up for us as well. And so we still don't have a building, and we're still doing things online. So for me, the idea of actually preaching in front of real, live people is, like, so exciting. So you have to forgive me if I'm a little bit uh, amped up as, as we get going, because it gets kind of old sitting in your basement by yourself during nap time preaching a sermon to a camera or to my phone with nobody else around. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you. And, and happy to spend some time with you. Um, and, uh, and you guys are doing a great job. This is the first time that I've been here. I was at the, what, at the school last time. And um, this is a really cool place right on 32. Um, and you got a cool thing going. So I'm really excited about all that's happening here at Impact. Uh, you guys are doing a great job despite of your pastor. You're doing a wonderful job as a church. And so it's cool to see where you're going and all the things that God is doing here. So as Eric said, we're talking about Letters to the church. And so all month, the different pastors are breaking down a different letter that Paul wrote to a specific church in a specific city at a specific time. It's important that we understand that. And uh, we're breaking down a whole bunch of different books. It's kind of hard to preach an entire book of the Bible in one sermon. That's kind of challenging because there's so much packed into each of these letters. So we're trying to get kind of a broad view of what Paul is talking about in each of these books. So today, I have the privilege of talking to you about the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is one of my favorite books for, for one specific reason. It's known as the joy book. It's known as the, the book that is filled with joy, excitement, happiness, all these sort of things. It's one of my favorite books. And if you know me, then you know that at times, I can be a bit much. I, I can be kind of... Uh, I'm, I'm an extrovert. Um, I'm normally in a good mood. Um, even if I don't feel like I'm in a good mood, I at least act like I am. Um, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm an outgoing person. I'm very typically happy. And I realize that all these things can be terrifying to an angry introvert. I get that. Like if you consider yourself an introvert and if you're in a bad mood, I'm probably not the best person to be around because I'm always like, hey, how's it going? In your face, like excited to see you, excited to talk to you. My wife, for example, her name's Lauren, and she's, she's working in the hospital right now. She's a nurse. Um, and we recently moved back to my childhood home, to the neighborhood that, that I grew up in. And I've, I'm, like, excited to be in a neighborhood and meet people. And I realize to many of you, maybe not you, maybe, maybe you are like me, but to a lot of people, it's like, that's a nightmare. Like, talking to other people around you. Like, when, when Lauren and I go on walks with our kids, I'm just, like, excited, like, walking down the street, waving to everybody. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? I grew up here when I was a kid. Like, that's how I am, walking down the street. Can't wait to meet people. Can't wait to talk to people. To an angry introvert, that's a bad combination. That's a bad combination. And so if you feel like you don't really like to talk to people, and, and, and if you are an introvert, 
this time of year or what's happening right now, I'm sure that you aren't happy about COVID, but it's like, oh, okay, well, at least I don't, I'm not forced to talk to people, right? At least I, we can kind of keep our distance and it's now more socially acceptable to just completely ignore you. So for me, this is really difficult. I just want to, I see everybody as like a potential best friend and I realize that that's weird, but because that's how my personality is, the book of Philippians is right up my alley. I love the book of Philippians because it's all about joy. It's all about joy. When it comes to preaching the book of Philippians, I'm all in. The word joy or rejoice is found 16 times in the book, in the book of Philippians, 16 times. Now, to let you know, give you a little bit of insight, if you don't know anything about the book of Philippians, it's only four chapters long. So it's not very long. It's a good book to start off. And if you're like, I've not read much of the Bible, the book of Philippians is a good one to start off with because it's short, it's sweet, it's happy, it's great. Like, it's a good book to start off with. But 16 times the word joy or rejoice is mentioned in the book of Philippians. And if Philippians is known as the joy book, then surely Paul, who wrote it, surely things must have been going well for him at this time, right? Like, if this is known as a joy book, it's known as the happiest letter, the happiest thing that Paul has ever written, then surely his ministry must have been going well. He must have had plenty of money. He must have just ate a great big meal. His life must have been going awesome. Churches are thriving everywhere that he's planted. Surely all of these things must have been happening, right? But the truth is, Paul wrote this book from a jail cell. Paul wrote this book from, from prison. And it's known as the joy book. What? Makes no sense. Right? Like if I stub my toe, it ruins my day. He wrote the joy book from prison, from a jail cell. I mean, it, it blows my mind when, when I think about this because the, the book is known as the joy book, what the, the circumstances around when Paul wrote this book. So let's get, let's get some background on the book of Philippians because if we're going to understand the book of Philippians, we have to understand the audience, the culture, the time, everything that was written and the audience that it was written to. The city of Philippi, which is where the church was located that Paul was writing this letter to, it was a Roman colony about 800 miles or so away from the city of Rome. And the, and the city of Rome is obviously a, an extremely powerful city at this time. It was the Roman Empire, right? It's going on. But the city of Philippi was known for its patriotic nationalism towards Rome. They, they loved the city of Rome, and they celebrated the city of Rome. So they were, all, they were all in on Rome, okay? When Paul established the church there in his second missionary uh, journey in about AD 49, they obviously faced opposition and persecution, the church that Paul established in the city of Philippi. Because the city of Philippi was patriotic to the city of Rome, the city of Rome did not like Christians. They did not like the ministry of Jesus. They were, they were working to stamp it out. So to plan a church, to start a church in the, in the city of Philippi meant opposition and persecution. It's a difficult place to start a church. Paul eventually is thrown into jail for some reason that we don't know in the city of Rome. So he's, he's not in Philippi anymore. He's about 800 miles away. He's thrown into prison. He's thrown into jail. And the church back in Philippi somehow receives word about Paul's imprisonment. They, they hear about what's happened to him. They hear, okay, Paul's in jail. And, they, and they're, they're, they begin to get a little bit worried. So what they do is they send one of their major church leaders. His name is Epaphroditus. This name is important to remember because we're going to talk about it in, in the book of Philippians. His name is Epaphroditus, and he's one of the, the pastors, the elders at the church of Philippi. That church decides, Epaphroditus, we need to send you 800 miles or so 
to the city of Rome to go visit Paul while in prison. He's, he's in a bad way, so he needs some help. So they want him to go check in on Paul and visit him in jail. Epaphroditus makes a trip 800 miles, and he comes to give Paul a financial gift to help him as he's in prison to update him on the state of the church in Philippi, which Paul planted, and then also to express their love and encouragement to Paul and let him know, hey, even though you're in jail, you're not alone. We care about you. We are thinking about you. We're, we're praying for you. And Paul's response to Epaphroditus coming to visit him is the book of Philippians. That's his response. So the book of Philippians is a letter that he is writing back to the church of Philippi because they sent Epaphroditus with money, with encouragement, and with help. Philippians is his response, known as the joy book. So Paul writes them to, to do four things. First, he writes them to first thank them for what they've done for him, to thank them for sending him a financial gift, to thank them for sending, the, sending him Epaphroditus to spend some time with him. Second thing he does is he wants to update them on his condition and what's going on in his life. The third thing that he wants to do is pastor them because Paul is ultimately a pastor and pastors can't not pastor. Am I right, Eric? It's hard. And anytime, like, even if I'm just giving announcements at my church, it somehow turns into a sermon one way or another. So it's hard to not pastor. So that's what Paul's doing. And then the fourth thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to encourage them. He wants to lift them up. He wants to tell them, hey, things, things are okay. And now here's where you can go and what you can do moving forward. So this is without a doubt, like I said, Paul's happiest letter. And you can feel his joy right away. What I love about how joyful this book is, is that Paul never tells us how to be joyful or what to do to experience joy. He just simply and unmistakably is joyful. He doesn't give any instruction on, hey, you want to you have joy? Do X, Y, and Z. He doesn't do that. He just is joyful. And it's without a doubt, he is so stinking happy. Like, what is going on? You ever, have you ever been around that person where it's like, this person is just weirdly joyful all the time? And it makes me very uncomfortable, right? <laughs> this person's a psycho. I can't trust them. They're way too happy. And I don't know what's going on. There's no way it's real, right? There's no way that this person is actually this happy. Maybe Jessica's a good example. There's no way she's this happy. She's got to, there's something weird. Spoiler alert, there is. There's something weird going on in her life, but she's way too happy. Why is this person this happy? I don't trust them. That's kind of the way it is with Paul. It's like, why is he so happy? I don't trust this. I don't know what's going on. And we're going to learn why he does have so much joy. He just exudes joy. And like I said, if you are an angry person, then you really don't like a really joyful person. It's like there's something wrong with him. Anyways, all right. So this entire letter is based around what is known as the Messiah poem in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to open it up to the book of Philippians, we're going to go through a, a couple of different passages. So, so keep your Bibles close by, or if you've you got your uh, phones, or if you just want to listen to me, that's fine too. But the whole book of Philippians is built around the Messiah poem, which is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So this is what Paul's saying. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. 
he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, uh, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is the example that Paul has given us of Jesus. He's talking to us about Jesus, who he is, what he has done. He explains to us that Jesus has humbled himself by coming to this earth for other people. By, but, but not only did he come to this earth from heaven, but he was crucified on a cross, was buried in a tomb, made himself nothing, and then was resurrected three days later so that you and I could live. But Jesus humbled himself because he came down on this earth when he didn't have to. I don't have to tell you how difficult this place is. I don't have to tell you how difficult this world is. You know it. You understand it. I don't have to explain that to you. So for Jesus to come to this earth, to leave heaven, to leave, to leave the right hand of God, to leave the throne of God, to come down to this earth, for you and I making himself nothing just speaks to his humility, the ultimate sacrifice. And really, the Messiah poem here is referencing a passage that the prophet Isaiah spoke about in the book of Isaiah chapter 45, verses 23. It's a direct quote. So, so verses 10 and 11 in chapter 2 of Philippians is a direct quote from the book of Isaiah. I'll read it again just so you, just to, just to remind you. Because of that humility that he was talking about with Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a direct quote from Isaiah. So when Paul is preaching about this to the church of Philippi or writing about this, they, they already know what he's saying because it's referencing the prophet Isaiah. They, it, it, it sticks with them. So the, like I said, the whole book is working from this poem, from this little, little excerpt. It's working from the example of Jesus Christ, which honestly every sermon is working from, the example of, of, of Jesus Christ or the example of God. So then Paul updates the church on what's been happening in his life and in his imprisonment. So back in, in Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12, we know in chapter 2, he explains the humility of Jesus Christ. Now he talks about what he experienced. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what, has advanced, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole place, throughout the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So, Paul here is really looking on the bright side of his situation. He, he's really looking at the positives. He, this is a glass half full sort of perspective right here. And he has joy in the midst of his imprisonment. Why? Because... More people are inspired to talk about the gospel because of what has happened to Paul. And he understands that. He, he can look around and he can say, other people are, are, are empowered to talk about Jesus Christ because they see where I'm at and they see what I'm experiencing and, and it's giving them inspiration to go and talk about it even more, to go and express their love for Jesus Christ even more. See, Paul's joy doesn't come from his circumstances because his circumstances would mean that he should not have joy. But that's, 
that's not where his joy comes from. A lot of, a lot of times that's where happiness comes from. For us, we're happy because this happened. We're happy because we got a raise at work. We're happy because we didn't lose our job during a pandemic. We're happy because you just got a, an offer accepted on your house. We're happy because whatever, fill in the blank. But joy is different. Joy is not based on our circumstances, and it's not dependent on our circumstances. We see that right here from Paul, because Paul's circumstances would dictate that he should not have joy if it was dependent on our circumstances. Instead, if it comes from people, Paul, Paul looks around and he sees other people knowing Jesus Christ, and he understands, if more people know Jesus because of my situation, then keep me here. Great. Perfect. That's wonderful. If my imprisonment advances the gospel, hallelujah. That's, that's what I want to happen. That's all that I care about. And what a great attitude he has. Do you and I know how easy it is to have a bad attitude? It's so easy. And even though I, I was telling you how joyful I typically am, I can have a bad attitude very easily, okay? One of uh, the, the I, I have a, as a pastor, you share a lot, of, a lot of stories in your sermons, and I've been preaching for a long time, and uh, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. Nathaniel was in the youth group. David was in the youth group. A few other people in the youth group that I was a, I was a youth pastor of. And maybe my most famous story as a, as a youth pastor, Nathaniel and David, you can tell me otherwise, uh, is about Dunkaroos. See, <laughs> exactly. So I don't know if you know about Dunkaroos. David, who, do, you, do you guys know about Dunkaroos? Raise your hand if you know about Dunkaroos. Okay, good, good, good. They're making a comeback, right? I love me some Dunkaroos. I'm a 90s kid. So Dunkaroos were huge in the 90s. Just in case, if you don't know what Dunkaroos are, first off, where you been, you weirdo. Second off, here's what it is. It's a, it's a little container with cookies, and then on the other side, there's a, it's icing. And you can take the cookie, and you can dip it into the icing, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful treat, okay? And I would love, I remember as a kid, if, 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 our, if our mom ever gave it to us in our lunch, it's like, oh, it's a good day right? at school. I got Dunkaroos. So I love Dunkaroos. If you know anything about Dunkaroos, they went away. Now, they're making a comeback now, thank the Lord, but they went away for a little while, okay? You can get them at 7-Eleven now. You can order them on Amazon. But they're recently, like within the last few months, I mean, have come back. But I, was, I went to school in Oklahoma, and I was, uh, I was out there in the middle of nowhere. Well, not the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma City, and uh, I, in, in, in a college dorm room. And obviously, when you're in college, you don't have any money. And I went to the grocery store at like a Dollar General, and I was, because I was a poor college student, and I was getting some groceries, and I saw on the shelf one lone box of Dunkaroos that I had not, I had not seen Dunkaroos in years at that point. So I was like, <laughs> Dunkaroos? And so I grab them, threw them in my cart as quickly as I could, and I go back to my dorm room. And, uh, and when, when you're in a college dorm, I had a roommate and I had some friends in the dorm room next to me. And uh, we all shared our groceries. We all, we all shared our food together. So I brought the groceries back and I said, guys, look, I got groceries. Help yourself to anything. But please, this one box of Dunkaroos, do not touch those. Those are, those are special for me. I love Dunkaroos and, and I haven't seen them in forever. And for all I know, this is the last box created in history. So please, there's only six in a box. Don't eat them. And they said, okay, okay, fine, no problem. I go to class. I come back. What do you think my hilarious college friends are doing? Eating my Dunkaroos in my face like savages. 
animals. And I come back and, and they're eating Dunkaroos and they're going, oh, they're so good. I love Dunkaroos. And I said, hey, I asked you specifically to not touch my Dunkaroos. And so I was so furious, I said, we are no longer friends. And I was not joking. We are no longer friends, and I will no longer hang out with you over Dunkaroos. My weekend was ruined. My Dunkaroos were gone. I was furious. I was like, ah, this is terrible. The world is falling apart. Dunkaroos are gone, and the last box in existence is now eaten by my jerk roommates. I don't get any of it. I, was, I did not have a glass half full perspective of thinking that they would come back 10 years later. Instead, I was thinking they were gone. <laughs> Disappeared. That's the attitude I can have. I don't know about you, but it's so easy for me to have a terrible attitude when one little thing goes wrong. When somebody eats cookies and icing that I specifically asked them not to eat, my day is ruined. My attitude is, is terrible. I'm so unbelievably frustrated and then I read the book of Philippians, a joy book, and I learn about where Paul is, and I learn about how Paul is happy about being in prison if it helps other people, and I think, whoo, maybe my attitude isn't the greatest. Maybe I could learn a thing or two from Paul. But Paul has this attitude because it comes from the example of Jesus that is found in the Messiah poem in Philippians chapter 2. Paul understands Jesus' attitude, and he understands that Jesus made himself nothing for us, so surely he can be in jail if more people know about Jesus who made himself nothing for them. Great. Praise God. The way Paul sees things, he's in a win-win situation. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, it says this. For me, Paul talking, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, in, in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So Paul sees things as a win-win situation while he's in prison. He, ha he, has, he has two options, okay? Two possible outcomes, and he's like, both are great. I can't lose. The first possible outcome is this. And this is what he would actually prefer. I could just be killed. That's the first outcome. And he says, for me to, to live, uh, for me to die is gain. I'll take that. For me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. If, if, if they kill me, if they take my life, awesome. You know why? Because now I'm with Jesus. You know why? Because now I don't have to deal with this world. You know why? Because now I, I, I'm able to move on. And the second option he could be released. It's a win-win. If they don't kill me, then that means that they'll eventually release me. And then if they release me, then this is what he expects to happen because he knows that God can still use him to help other people know Jesus more. So he says, look, I got two options. I could be killed or I could be released. Can't lose. Doesn't, doesn't matter what comes my way. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what this world thinks that they're choosing. Doesn't matter. Because either way, I win. 
Either way, I have success. Either way, I'm great. But he understands that him being on this earth is more important than him leaving this earth, which is really the selfish desire for him in this situation. For him, he's like, yeah, I'd rather leave. But that's for me. But I know that I am going to stay because God still has more planned for me to do and because more people can still find out more about Jesus Christ if I'm here. So I know that eventually I'm going to be released from prison and I'm going to continue my mission. I'm going to continue my journey and I'm going to continue helping more people know about Jesus Christ. Win-win. I can't lose no matter what happens. See, most, most of us don't, don't see things as a win-win. Most of us see things as a lose-lose. See, we are great at finding the downside in everything if our hope is in ourselves or this world. And if, our, if, if, you, if you put your hope in the things that this world has to offer, then you will always see things as a lose-lose because this world doesn't have enough to offer you. And we look around and, and even like the greatest, have you ever been around this person who's just negative in any situation? It's like, oh, great, this just happened. Yeah, but this will probably happen next. It's like, oh, why are you so negative? You're the worst. I don't like being around you. Everything is a lose-lose. Just waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. If you're that person, you're really annoying. Just so you know. If in, every, and if, if in any and every situation... You feel like, I'm the realist here, and I need to let you know all the terrible things that could happen. You're terrible. No, nobody likes to be around that person. It's the truth. It's the truth. And if you feel convicted, complain to Eric. He's your pastor. <laughs> but if you feel convicted, it's not coming from me. It's coming from the Bible, okay? It's coming from the Bible. We are not called. If you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not called to walk through this life and find the negative in everything. You're being a terrible witness to who Jesus is. We should look at things as a win-win, not a lose-lose. Do you know how I know where we, we look at things as a lose-lose? Because I'm a Ravens fan and, uh, and a football fan. And even if you're not a Ravens fan, you're just a football fan. Whatever, whatever team you like. I don't know if you're like most people that I watch games with. Like, even when things are going well, it's like, yeah, but the offense could have been better. Yeah, but we let up too many sacks. Yeah, but Lamar Jackson should have thrown five touchdowns instead of three. There's always, always a, but, a yeah, but in everything, right? And it doesn't matter what team you root for. It, and if you don't believe me, just get on Twitter or something or Facebook during a football game. You could win by four touchdowns and people will complain. Why? The Ravens right now are 4-1 and one, and you would think that they're 0-5. If you listen to the radio, why? Because we look at everything as a lose-lose. That's not the attitude of Jesus Christ. That's not the attitude of Paul. So we have the example of Jesus. Then we have the example of Paul. And Paul also tells the church about the example of Timothy, who, who Timothy is, is kind of like his apprentice. And he, and he talks to the church in Philippi about how Timothy goes above and beyond for people. And there's, a, there's a, a couple letters that Paul wrote to Timothy called First and Second Timothy that if you want to go and read those, you can, you can check those out. And then Paul also talks about Epaphroditus. Remember, Epaphroditus was the church leader, the pastor who came from the church in Philippi to, to bring a financial gift to check in on Paul to see how he was doing. He, he talks about Epaphroditus and how he actually almost died coming to visit Paul. He got 
terribly sick and almost lost his life. But it didn't stop him from moving forward, and it didn't stop him from doing what he was called to do. So he talks about those two examples. And then the way that Paul ends his letter to the Philippians is by challenging them to also live out Jesus' story by thinking about their heart, by thinking about their attitude, and by thinking about their actions. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he talks about Jesus' example. Then he gives them his example. And then he talks to them. Okay, based on what I've just explained to you, what attitude should you have? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when you get a raise. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when something fun happens in your life. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when, when you go out on a date with somebody that you've really been wanting to go out on a date for, date with. He says rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's, that's the attitude. And if a guy sitting in prison not knowing if he will walk out alive or not can have this attitude, then surely you and I can have this attitude. Then surely the church in Philippi can have this attitude too. Because remember, we talked about the church in, in Philippi. They've dealt with persecution. They've dealt with opposition. And, and from the city of Philippi that they are located in, it's a tough place to be for them. It's challenging. It is only natural to be frustrated, especially when you feel like you're trying to do what's right and what's good. That's, that's, the, that's when we can have the worst attitude. As, as a pastor, Eric, Eric could tell you the same thing. It's so easy to be like, God, all I want to do is help more people know about Jesus. Why is this so hard? Why, why is this so difficult? Why is this so, so challenging? I feel like this should be easier. Because all I want to do is help more people know Jesus. God, don't you want me to do that? Shouldn't you make a clear path for me to do that? Because my, my heart is built in more people having a relationship with you. Why is this so hard? And it's so frustrating. This, that that sometimes can be the, the heart of a pastor. Because I know, especially with Eric too, all he wants is for more people to know Jesus. And him and I can can talk to each other and be like, man, this has just been a tough, tough week or a tough season or whatever it may be. It's like, why is this so hard? When you're in your life and, and a lot of people say, well, I'm a good person. And you feel like you're doing what's right and you feel like you're doing what's good. And then things become so challenging that you just throw in the towel and you just say, if this is going to be this hard when I'm trying to do what's right, then why even try? I'm just going to give up and just do what I want and just throw in the towel. If Paul doesn't have that attitude in his situation, then we shouldn't either. If Jesus didn't have that attitude coming down to this earth, making himself nothing, beat 
beaten, mocked, spit on, crucified on a cross? When he could have just said, forget this. That's what, if I, good thing I'm not Jesus. Because if that, if I were, I'd be like, forget this. You all are on your own. I'm not doing that. One time as a youth pastor, I almost got reported to the district superintendent because I told a story about poop. True. True story. Somebody wanted me to lose my job and my license because I told a story about poop. Eric would have lost his license 50 times by now. Because <laughs> right? I told a story that involved poop. And I remember being like, if it's going to be this hard, I'm not even going to be a pastor. <laughs> right? That's how frustrated I got. I, I, I think that what we can learn from the book of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Doesn't matter what's happening around you. Because your joy is not based in your circumstances. Your happiness is. So don't let anything get in the way. See, Paul, he found the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment is this. If you want to know how to be content, this is how. Full dependence on Jesus Christ. That's it. You feel like you're not content, it's because you're relying on yourself, you're not relying on Jesus. I'm going to invite the, the worship team forward as, as we get ready to close. And this, this is, I realize, much easier said than done. When we are fully dependent on Jesus, we can live fully free. We get to a place where we just say, okay, okay, I'm done I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm lost, I'm whatever. I'm, I'm so angry. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I feel like I have no joy. Just give everything up and say, Jesus, take over. Full dependence on Jesus Christ. That's where contentment is found. So if you, if, you, if you feel like right now, you're like, I'm struggling, lost, and I'm hurting, starts here. Starts at the feet of Jesus Christ, making ourselves nothing, getting rid of our labels, getting rid of whatever attitude that we feel like we're better than other people or worse than other people. Get rid of all of that and say, God, I'm just solely yours dependent fully on you. Use me as you see fit. That's all that I care about because everything else that this world tells me I should do or every other direction that this world tells me I should go in has just led me to a dead end and I'm mad and I'm lost and I'm hurt. I want you and you only. Full dependence on Jesus results in full freedom for your life and contentment. So get rid of everything else. It doesn't matter in the long run. It doesn't matter. All that matters is your relationship with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, start today. If you want to find out more about who he is, talk to Eric, talk to Frank, talk to other church leaders, Michelle. Talk to, talk to other people. Learn more about him. They would love to sit down over a cup of coffee with you. If you also want to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. Just because I'm not your pastor doesn't mean I can't talk to you. 
but it's worth it. I promise you, it's worth it. Get rid of everything else. Trust in him fully. And then rejoice. Let's stand and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lay our lives at your feet. We lay all that we are in front of you. And we say, God, use us. Use us to help more people know about you. Help us, Father, to understand what you have done, what you have sacrificed, the humility that you have represented. Help us to see that example, to see the example of Paul, to see the example of the church in Philippi and implement it into our lives as well. God, I pray that we get off of our high horse. I pray that we get to a place where we realize you are God and you are good and we hand it all over to you. Help us to live with joy and rejoice in the Lord always. You are a good, good Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.